Well, good morning. It's a privilege to be here. Uh, my name is, oh, it's up on the board, isn't it? My name is Dan Flynn. Oh, thank you, bro. Thank you, thank you. My name is Dan Flynn. I'm an elder here at the church, and this is a privilege to uh, open God's Word this morning with you, and, and it's also a privilege, actually, to give our pastoral staff a little bit of a break this morning. So we have the greatest staff at this church, and uh, I'm so grateful for them. I'm grateful for Chris and Dustin, for Tim, who's doing double duty this morning, and uh, for Joel and, and the rest of the staff. They do a million things for us that are behind the scenes that we oftentimes don't see, and so it's a privilege to give them this little small Christmas present. Well, this morning I realized, uh, I was thinking, when is the last time that a Sunday fell on the day after Christmas? And I looked it up, and it's been 11 years that it's been that long. Because of leap year, sometimes it goes a long time. And I realized that that creates a certain dynamic here, and I was preparing this message this morning, and, uh, or for this morning. I didn't just start this morning. <laughs> Or maybe I did. <laughs> and I said to myself, self, what does a person preach on when Christmas is just the day before Sunday? You know, the day after Christmas, what does someone preach on? And I thought to myself, well, what could be more natural in all of the world than to preach about Jesus, right? He, he, that story never gets old. And so this morning, we're going to look at a text that is centered on him. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to give us a little background on the text, and then we're going to jump right into it. So let me pray for our time. Lord, it's a privilege, like I said, it's a privilege to be here this morning to open your word. What a gift. What a gift that you've given us your word, which tells us about a savior, a rescuer who has come for us. And we want to say thank you. We want our hearts and our ears and our minds to be attentive to you this morning and that we would um, be refreshed at how gloriously beautiful Jesus is. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, um, I labored really hard, you should know. I labored super hard to figure out a, like a theme or an outline for our time this morning. And uh, I was up all night. I, I labored. I sweat. I, I just put everything I had into it. And it was really, really hard to come up with a, a satisfactory outline. But I did come up with something, and, and here it is. Is it up there? I can't see. There it is. There it is. <laughs> I, I thought, let's just talk about Jesus this morning. It doesn't have to be complicated. So we're going to talk about Jesus. A little bit uh, uh, background. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at just four verses in the book of Hebrews. So the book of Hebrews, um, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Let me give you a little bit of background on that book. It's about two-thirds of the way into your New Testament, so it's near the back of the Bible, the book of Hebrews. Um, it was written, well, we don't know who wrote it, actually. It's, it's a mystery. But it was written, if you, if you read the whole book, it's sort of like the spark notes, or perhaps the cliff notes, if you're a little older. Spark notes or cliff notes of the Old Testament. It's a, it's a good overview of what happens in the Old Testament. Now, the original audience was experiencing some significant hardship. In chapter 10, it says that many of them had their, their property confiscated. Imagine that someone comes in and takes all that you own. So they're, they're going through some difficult times. In chapter 12, it says that the author, author says, I, I'm writing this so that you don't lose hope. So their circumstances are difficult, and uh, he's reminding them, reassuring them to stay the course. 
okay? And the drumbeat of this book of Hebrews is that Jesus is better than, and just fill in the blank. Jesus is better than, and I have a little chart here I'll show you, and just run through that quickly. Jesus is better than the angels in chapter 1 and chapter 2, actually. It talks about angels 11 different times. And the, the point is that Jesus is better than these majestic beings who actually delivered the law of God to Moses. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses himself, probably the central figure of the Old Testament, the one that brought Israel the, the law. He's better than the, than the Levitical priesthood and the high priest in the Old Testament who played a very unique role. He's better than the covenant, uh, the first covenant of obedience to the law. He's better than the sacrificial system. In fact, Jesus was both the better high priest and the better and one, once and only sacrifice for sin. And then he, he, you go all the way to chapter um, 11, you have this list of men and women who walked by faith. They were broken people, but they walked by faith, and Jesus is better than all of them as well. And so that, that's sort of a, a chart of what this book is. Now let's look at our text. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4. It reads like this. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways... God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name that he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Okay, let's tackle this in, in, in simply two parts this morning, two parts. The first is that God has spoken, and then the second part is simply that he did it through his unique, unparalleled son, the Lord Jesus. So first, God has spoken. Look at verses uh, 1 and 2 here. Do you notice the, uh, well, you're going to notice it here up on the screen. Do you notice the parallel structure that he begins with? This is absolutely beautiful, what he does. He says, long ago, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but not long ago, but in these last days, God has spoken. Not to the fathers, but he's spoken to us, and not through the prophets, but he's spoken by his son. Isn't that beautiful? I was a rhetoric major in college at the University of Wisconsin, and uh, this kind of symmetry in language really delights me. To me, it's like art. It's like a beautiful picture. There's a, a loveliness and a beauty, and it's almost like the, uh, the author's like, if I'm going to be talking and, and, and writing about the best thing, the best person in the universe, I need to attempt to clothe this in the very best way possible. And so he begins with this beautiful parallel structure. Now, he does have this parenthetical clause, right? At many times and in many ways. That also sings in the Greek. It sings. Because the two words for many times and in many ways, those two words, many and many, they, they, uh, they rhyme. They're, they're a beautiful sound to the ear. The two words are palomeros, pardon my Greek here, literally, <laughs> the way I pronounce, Palomeros and Palutropos. Palomeros, Palutropos. 
it kind of it kind of sounds nice. And I I, I, set, I spent way too much time in my little office thinking about words because I love to communicate and figure out ways that really kind of land a plane. And so I was sitting in my office thinking, how can you say these two words or something like these two words that kind of sing to the to the ear? And I came up with a couple examples. I said it would be like an author writing something like, the thunder tore his heart asunder. Right? It kind of sings. The thunder tore his heart asunder. Or he scrambled over bramble and briar. Doesn't that sound nice to the ear? Well, in the Greek, this sounds beautiful to the ear. This man, this author, this unknown man, is is really painting a picture here that he wants us to remember. And it's going to be about Jesus. I want you to imagine for one moment that you're 20-something again. You're a single person and you're in your your 20s. And you have begun a dating relationship with someone, but they're far, far away. Like, let's say you live here in Fisher's area. They live in Hawaii, okay? So you've begun to get to know this person, but here's how you've gotten to know them. You have a texting relationship with them. They live far, far away, and the only way the two of you can communicate is with your thumbs, by texting. And you've gotten to know this person rather well. You know, you know what they like and what they dislike, what they love and what they hate, but you have never actually met them. You've only had a texting relationship, and then one day, unexpectedly, that person comes knocking at your door. They show up at your door. For thousands and thousands of years, God primarily texted us. But one day, unexpected, in the fullness of time, he came knocking on our door. And his name is Jesus. Now, before we uh, get too far ahead of ourselves, let's back up for a second and think about what does it mean that God has spoken to us, and ultimately in his son. But what does it mean that he spoke to us even through the prophets? And and in other ways. So first of all, let's think this through. God has actually been texting all of us, all of everyone who's ever lived for a long time. He's been texting us through the creation that He has made. In uh, Romans chapter one, verse twenty and twenty-one, it says this: For God's invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, they have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So, when we bump across a a beautiful sunset, or maybe we have our eye on a microscope and we're analyzing at a very cellular, cellular level the intricacies of a cell, or perhaps we're looking at an oak tree and just admiring the branches and how they are so diverse and yet one tree, or perhaps we're looking at the ocean and we see the foamy waves, All of these these things are whispering, perhaps, to us that someone has made me. I'm not here by accident. A number of years ago, I was uh, in a small little country called Moldova. It's uh, right next to Romania. And uh, when I was there, uh, this is back in the days when Moldova had just gotten its freedom away from the Soviet Union. And so I was there, and they invited me, because I was an American, into all these collegiate classrooms. And so I was at the university, and I'd go from classroom to classroom to classroom because I was a novelty. I was just a strange, well, I am a strange human being. <laughs> but um, so they would have me come in. And um, what would I do? I'd tell them about some, some holidays that Americans typically will celebrate. And then I would 
trans, uh, transfer into my testimony of how I came to know Christ in college. And then I would open it up for questions and answers. And invariably, I'd get these questions. And one of the questions I'll never forget, a young man uh, rose, raised his hand and he said, uh, excuse me, sir, but how do you reconcile um, your belief in God with evolution, scientific evolution? What do you, what do, you do with that? And I was perplexed, like, whoa, this is a, a significant, serious question. I'm not a scientist. I'm not sure I'm, what I'm going to say exactly. But I said to him, well, it's, it's like this. When I take a walk at night on a, on a starry night, and I'm just walking along, and I can see all the stars you know, just kind of twinkling at me, and I look up at them, and you know what the stars are saying to me? They're saying, someone made me. Someone made me. They're not there by accident. There's a, a, a creator behind everything that we see. Everything. Well, God texted all of humanity that way. He also texted Israel in the Old Testament through the prophets, the law, the wisdom books like the Psalms and the Proverbs. And then one day, unexpectedly, God came knocking on our door in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's Christmas, right? In the, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. And now no more text messages. Now we get the real thing. We get the real thing. And now I also want you to imagine just for another minute, that was one imagination, here's another one. What if, what if God actually never even texted us? What if for a moment we had no knowledge of what God has thought and said? We know nothing about his heart. We, don't have a Bible. Have you, ever, uh, have you ever thanked God for this book? Have you ever thanked him that you live on this side of the printing press? You, know, you could have been born in the year 721, right? You weren't. We have so much to be thankful for, for this long list of texts, if I can put it that way. <laughs> About 30 years ago, maybe longer, I'm getting little absent-minded in my age. I had a dear friend named Jim. Jim was a student at uh, Virginia Tech at the time. Jim was leading a Bible study of college men. And at the end of the Bible study, he says, okay, men, hand in your Bibles. I want to look at your Bibles. So he collects their Bibles. And then he says this, I will, uh, I'll give you back your Bibles next week at Bible study. You're just going to have to wait a week. And so these guys, they went through an experiment where for the next week of their life, we're going to discover, is this book really precious to me? So much so that I really, really miss it. I miss hearing what God has spoken. Or is it just sort of like a piece of candy that I enjoy you know, once in a while, and I really won't be that deeply affected by it, by missing it for a week? I never read a Bible until college. Um, in fact, I never owned a Bible, except for one semester in high school, I had to buy a Bible for a class, and I sold it back to the high school bookstore because I didn't see much value in it, and I got a few bucks out of it. Kind of funny, huh? Come to Christ in college and uh, start reading this book, and I was stunned. About a, a week after I, I came to know Christ, at the end of my freshman year, I went out all by my own, walked to a Christian bookstore, which actually kind of scared me. <laughs> to walk into this place because I didn't know what it was going to be like. Walked in, I told the man I need to buy a Bible. And uh, we had a nice conversation. And I bought it. And I want to show it to you. I brought it with me this morning. This is 
the Bible that I bought that day back as a freshman in college. And uh, you might wonder, what translation is that, Dan? And I'll tell you what translation it is. It's the, the DTV translation, the DTV, the, uh, the duct tape version, the, D, the DTV. I don't care what version you read, but do, do read it until perhaps it needs some duct tape on the spine to hold it together. This is really a, a dear, precious Bible to me. Um, it's precious not, not just because it has a lift-out section here, <laughs> which is held together by three threads at this point, but it is precious to me. If the house goes up in flames, I run back. This is one of the things I'm going to grab. Um, it is that dear to me. And why? Why is it dear? It's, it's in that book that I, I got to know God in college. I read his thoughts. He spoke about the Lord Jesus in this book, my rescuer. And so I wonder, where are we at in this? This was my whole first point was simply to say God has spoken to us. And, you know, we're about to walk into 2022 in a matter of days. And I wonder if, if you're the kind of person who likes to plan, set goals, that sort of thing. I wonder if this is the time to set a goal for 2022 that, that this book will become precious to you. It'll become dear to you. Not because you have to. Don't do it because I'm saying to do anything. Do it because you get to. Do it because God had you born on this side of the printing press. Do it because his thoughts are encapsulated in this book. You know, and you get that thing down in you. <laughs> you can tell that I uh, have worked all my life with college students, right? Because I'm a little uh, tactile, we'll call it. Okay, that was point number one. We only have one more point. And it's, uh, but it's a good one because it's all about Jesus. If you look back at the text again, from this point forward, after it said, long ago at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Now, he's about to tick off eight descriptions of Jesus all in a row, just one after the other. And uh, they're beautiful. I have a little chart here that explains the eight. So here we go. He's talking about Jesus, whom he, God, the Father, appointed the heir of all things. So Jesus is the heir of all things, the possessor of all things, through whom also he created the world. So in some sense, Jesus is the creator. He's the radiance of the glory of God. I love that one. He's radiant. He's the exact imprint of his nature, the exact imprint. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. So he's the upholder or the sustainer. After making purification for sins, so in a sort of a way, Jesus is the purifier, right, of sin, um, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus sits down on his royal throne, making him sovereign over the world. And lastly, having become as much superior to the angels as the name, is, as the name he has inherited is uh, more excellent than theirs. And this really sets up the rest of the book. Jesus is superior. That will be the, the essence of the, the rest of the book. So there you have a, a simple sort of outline of uh, these couple verses here. But because I'm a word guy, I'm a bit of a word nerd, if you will, I sit in my office and think way too much. And so I thought about these eight characteristics, and this is what I came up with. I came up with, well, if he's the heir, that means he's the son. If he's the creator, he's like the sculptor of this universe. If he's radiant, and I'll get into this in a moment, it means he's the source of the radiance. He's uh, the exact imprint, or in other words, he's like the stamp, and there it is, the perfect, exact 
replica. He is God. He is the, the upholder, the sustainer. He's the purifier or the scrubber. He's the sovereign, which I left as an S, as the sovereign and the, the superior one. Jesus is all these things that begin with the letter S. It's like he's Superman, but more. He's, he's super, he's, he's deity. Chapter 1 is going to make that argument. Jesus is God. Simultaneously, chapters 2 through 4 are going to make the argument, Jesus is 100% a man like you and I. He's both. He has two natures simultaneously. Well, let's un- we can't unpack eight things and, uh, and get you home by lunch, right? Can't do that. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to unpack three very briefly or relatively briefly. All right? So the first one that I just want to unpack because it's so delightful to my mind is this idea that he's radiant. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Radiance. If I were to say to you, um, I wanted to compliment my wife, Paula. Where are you, sweetie? There she is. And I said, Paula, you look absolutely radiant. What do I mean? I mean, there's something coming out her face. There's a brightness, a light that is radiating from Paula, from within. It comes here, but it comes out her eyes. Paula, when Paula smiles, her eyes actually smile. <laughs> They're absolutely beautiful to me, her green eyes. So there's this radiance that's just coming from Paula, right? That's, what to, that's the idea, that light is exuding out of something. So radiance, what is it? It's splendor, it's brilliance, it's a shining forth, it's a dazzling, it's an effulgence, it's a resplendence. Pick your synonym, whatever it is, words fail for this word radiance. In uh, Matthew 17, it talks about Jesus this way. Jesus is up on a mountain with Peter, James, and John. He's being about to be transfigured right in front of their eyes. And it says, there Jesus was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun. Think about that. His face shone like the sun. Woo. And his clothes became as white as light. Well, wow. Revelation chapter 1 says something similar about Jesus, that his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Boom. Imagine a spotlight on you right now. Boom. So Jesus is this source. The Greek word here is apagasma. It means to shine forth. Jesus is the source of the glory of God. He emits the glory of God. He does not merely reflect God's glory. He actually emits it. So if you think about the sun and the moon, the sun, as we know, is a source of light, and it emits light. But the moon is just a reflection of the sun. Did anyone see the moon this morning, by the way? It's beautiful. Half a moon. It looked beautiful. And, but but the, the moon is just reflecting the glory of the sun. Jesus is not the moon. Jesus is the sun. Wow. Or, um, Tyler, I'm going to need your help here. And Tyler knows this. We're going we're gonna to lower the lights in the sanctuary here just for a moment. Thank you, Tyler. What I want to show you is this... Uh, Aluminum wall right here, right? Now, you might look at that aluminum wall and say, wow, that's, that's radiant. And I would say to you, uh, no, it's not. It's actually not radiant. It is reflective. 
it is reflecting the light from this. Guard your eyes. <laughs> I couldn't resist. Here, I'll go high. I hope you did flinch a little bit when that light hit you because that doesn't even approximate the glory of Christ. He is the one who emits. He is not, Jesus is not the wall. Jesus is this, this flashlight in this illustration. Okay, Tyler, let's put it back up. Sorry to do that to you if I caught you in the eyes too hard. Turn off. No, you don't want to go off. All right. So Jesus is not the wall. He is not the moon. Jesus is the sun. He's also the second one that we'll unpack is that he's the exact imprint of God's nature. The exact imprint of God's nature. In Colossians 1, it says he's the image of the invisible God. In John chapter 14, Philip asks him a question. He says, Jesus, show us the Father. That's enough for us. And Jesus says, how long have I been with you, Philip? And you ask me that question. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. One of my favorite uh, smells in all the world is Play-Doh. I keep a little tub of Play-Doh on my desk at home. And I just get a hit. <laughs> Play-Doh is a, it's a beautiful smell to me, and here's why. It reminds me of the innocence of childhood. I used to love playing with Play-Doh as a kid. There we go. And uh, it just, it's just a lovely thing. You know, you, it reminds me of childhood. It reminds me of innocence. It, um, if you make a mistake, you can just do it again, right? But Plato also has this other quality to it that I love. Plato, uh, you can take other things and make things out of Plato, right? So you can take like a star-shaped stamp here, and you can press it into the Play-Doh, like so, and then take it out. There we go. And now you can see the image of that star, right? An exact imprint of this stamp. If we were to go horizontal and pour some plaster of Paris on top of this, let it dry and lift it out, we would have an exact replica of this stamp. Jesus is the exact imprint. He is not an approximation of God. Jesus is the exact imprint. In fact, he is, in essence, just like the stamp, right? Isn't that beautiful? It's, su it's such a beautifully hidden, veiled reference to Jesus' deity. Love it. Last one, and then we'll, uh, we'll do a little scenario, and we'll be all done. The last one is that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Did you guys know that all the laws of physics exist because Jesus upholds them, even at this moment? Right now, the reason that we, our bodies don't explode is Jesus is somehow holding all of the molecules of our bodies together. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus stills a storm. He and his disciples are in a boat out at sea, and it says that he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves, and they obeyed him, and his men were shocked. Why is that, that they did that? They did it because he sustains or he upholds the universe by the word of his power. When his word 
goes forth, the universe obeys. Now science, I love science. I'm not a scientist by trade or anything, but um, there's a lot to be gleaned. It's a, it's a great tool for observation and learning about the world we live in. But science is at a, at a, a loss to explain the forces that hold things together. Instead, they've given them names, but names just beg the question. You know, oh, that's an electromagnetic force. That's a nuclear force. Uh, agreed, those are forces. How, how exactly do those, not, not how do we observe them, but why are they there? And why do they maintain their integrity? We don't know. They don't know. At a, uh, the answer, of course, is Jesus. <laughs> At a microscopic level, it would, it would run like this. Jesus holds, I have a friend who said this to me in a, in a handwritten letter once. He said, Jesus holds the smallest electrons in their orbit in every atom of the tiniest flea. Isn't that good? And then at a, at a macro level, this is a vast, vast universe that we're living in. So let me give you an example here. Does anyone know how far away the sun is in terms of miles? Shout it out. That is correct, 93 million miles away. I would like to suggest that this piece of paper and its thickness is 93 million miles. Okay, that's the thickness of the distance from here to the sun. We would have to take this piece of paper and start stacking paper upon paper upon paper, 70 feet high, before we would ever get to the nearest star, Alpha Centauri which is actually a collection of a few stars. 70 feet high, 210,000 sheets of paper it would take. Each piece of paper, 93 million miles of distance. That is vast, and that's just the nearest star. What if we wanted to traverse the entire Milky Way galaxy, one end to the other end? How many pieces of paper would it take? Well, first of all, we wouldn't stack them straight up because it wouldn't make sense, and you'll see why in a second. So we're going to stack them sideways like this, horizontally, and I'm going to take piece after piece, and we're just going to do this, stack them this way. We're going to go out the door, out onto uh, 126th Street, out to 69, onto 465. We're going to hop up 65 and keep going for a while. And we're going to go 300 miles all the way to where I went to school at the University of Wisconsin. Each sheet of paper is the distance between here and the moon. And that's how long how long it would take us to, or how, the distance of the Milky Way galaxy. And here's the real kicker. We haven't gone anywhere yet. In terms of the universe, we've barely stepped out the front door. Why do I share that with you? If that doesn't blow your mind, then you're not thinking this through. Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Wow. That should our brains. That's beautiful. Well, we could go on and we won't, but I, what I want to do, because there, there's more, right? There, he purifies. He's like, the, he's like the heavenly oxy-clean, if I could put it that way, for our sin. No, nothing can wash away our sin. What, what can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? Yeah. Or we could look at how he's superior, which we've kind of done. But I want to end with um, a verse near the end of Hebrews and give you, a, if it's okay with you, a little scenario that I'm hoping will uh, stick with you for a long time. Here's the verse. It's in Hebrews chapter 12. So now we're getting near the end of the book. It's done all these chapters related to how Jesus is superior to all these other things. 
and then it goes to therefore. Verse 12, or excuse me, chapter 12, verse 1. Let me read this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all those men and women from chapter 11, the cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. God has spoken to us by his son, and fixing our eyes on him is the most normal thing that we could do. So to close our time, let me ask a question and then give you a scenario. The question is this. What do you do when you encounter someone who is so magnificent, who's so glorious, who's so radiant, who is the exact imprint of God's nature? What do you do when you you encounter this person? Here's what you do. You answer the door. He's come to your door and he's rung the doorbell. You answer the door. You invite him in. You get to know him. You spend time with him. You love him. You, You stare at him. You gaze at him. You fix your eyes on him. And so that's how I want to end our time is to fix our eyes on Jesus. Now, obviously, Jesus isn't literally, physically like, like me standing here. But what I'd like us to do is up on the screen, I'm going to put Jesus. There he is. There's his name, right? And what I want you to do just for a couple minutes is to look at Jesus. And what's important here is that you don't look away. Just look at Jesus, okay? So... Fix your eyes on Jesus. Are you? Don't look at me. I'm nobody. He's somebody. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Oh, you know who just came in the back door? It's Frank Reich. Frank, it's good to see you. I'm glad you came. Good game last night, Frank. Way to go. Did anybody pivot their head to look at Frank? Are you fixing your eyes on Jesus? How about, um, I don't know if you heard, but we're out of coffee in the lobby. So sorry about that. But are you fixing your eyes on Jesus, right? You didn't get what you wanted for Christmas, huh? Ah, are you fixing your eyes on Jesus? Your car just blew a head gasket. Ah. No, are you fixing your eyes on Jesus? Your fiancé just broke up with you. Are you fixing your eyes on Jesus? Your mother was just diagnosed with cancer. Your dear friend just got COVID and is in the hospital. Are you fixing your eyes on Jesus? You lost your job, and you don't know what to do. Are you fixing your eyes on Jesus? Well, the scenario, the experiment looks like it went pretty well, but this isn't real life. When those things happen, how quickly do we turn back to the one who loves us, right? Let's, uh, let's close our time here with these words, and, I'll, and then I'm going to pray. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. 
Beautiful. Let's pray. Lord, what a privilege it is to, to know you, to know Jesus, to not simply be receiving text messages from someone we have not met. And Lord, for almost all of us, we have met you, Jesus, but perhaps some have not. Perhaps some are still resisting opening that door when, when you come a-knocking. And uh, I ask, Lord, that this would be the perfect time of season of year for, for people to, to invite you to come, to live with them, to gaze at you, to fix their eyes on you. We uh, need you. We love you. You are radiant. Um, thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.